0: Welcome to the Think Data Podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide, they will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And this week we have. Uh, really a bit of a different episode, actually, because we are going to be taking a really close look at what it takes to set up, launch and scale a startup business in the US. Uh, For this, I don't think there's any better person than Jordan Willans, who is the Programme Director at Weave. Um, Weave is a they're a landing partner for international startups, and they've been set up really with one objective in mind, and that's to help founders and startups explore and launch into new markets. I've known of Weave for probably just over a year now. Uh, they're very, very active in this space. Um you know, just to pin Jordan down today, it's been a, it's been a challenge. She travels internationally. Uh, will bring a lot of kind of insight into this international space with obviously the US in mind as well. So thanks for coming on the show. And uh, for those that don't know, um, who are we even kind of what makes their service unique for this kind of startup space?
1: Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm My glad pleasure. that we were to uh, to make this work um yeah so we've like you said we are a startup accelerator um, we're based in New York and our sole mission is to support startups and you know non us startups and scale ups with US market entry um so to date we've worked with we've been around for about seven years um and we've worked with at this point over 300 companies from about 30 different 37 different nationalities and counting um and you know I think, one of the things that makes our service really unique, I think it's twofold, you know, partially um, our focus is solely on the U.S. and it's solely on working with non-U.S. founders. You know, I think that there are um, accelerators out there that do, um, you know, they'll work with startups from everywhere and kind of give them the basics of of setting up in the U.S. or, you know, kind of how to hire in the U.S., how to move forward in the U.S. But, um, from more of a general perspective, and we're coming at it from a place where we understand um, our founders are dealing with, aside from, you know, having to start a business, um, which in and of itself is a, is a crazy feat, but dealing with cultural differences, dealing with time zone differences, dealing with, um, you know, all of the things that make working internationally complicated. Um, and so we are, you know, really equipped to handle to handle and to help with those issues.
0: Awesome. And I I know we've, I think we did an event uh, where I met a member of your team and very ingrained in the kind of startup ecosystem. And I know at the moment, we've obviously seen a lot of movement from organizations in Europe looking to kind of capitalize on the US market. And, you know, I know that's kind of how you've kind of positioned your business. But when there, when companies are looking at that, um, what do you think is kind of the number, maybe the the top three steps they should consider before they kind of look to make that kind of first entry into the market? Because I know that's obviously where you can kind of help them, but what advice do you offer those companies?
1: Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think, you know, when we're, when you're looking at those steps that people should be taking to make their first full-time hire, I think, um, You know, one of the things that we always tell companies, and I think that this is maybe the top thing that people should be thinking about is, is look at where your customers are. Um, you know, I think that in terms of, in terms of location, there's no one right space to set up. Um, the U.S. is, is massive. Um, and it is. You know, depending on what industry and you're in, depending on who you're selling to, you're going to want to be in a different place. Um, you know, we're based in New York, which is, is pretty diverse in terms of industry. I think a lot of people think Silicon Valley um, when they think startups in the U.S. And New York actually has a pretty robust startup scene. We're home to, I think, like... 50 of the Fortune 500s have headquarters in New York. um, Retail, finance, it's all there. Um, But for example, if you have an agriculture, an an agri-tech startup, um, New York is not going to be the place for you. I mean, we've worked with, for example, oil and gas companies who eventually now set up in Texas um, because that's the right space for them. That's definitely a really important step. Um, And I think also looking at... um, You know, who you're hiring and making sure that you're hiring at the right level. Um, I meet with a lot of companies who, right off the bat, when I dive in, they're like, Yeah, so our first hire in the US is going to be like a VP of marketing or the VP of sales, for example. And that's Mm. going to be a really, really expensive hire, Um, especially when at the beginning. I mean, I think, you know, especially in those early stages, the founder really needs to lead the sales process. Um, And so you're going to be sinking a lot of money into a hire that you know, might not be the best fit or might not be exactly what's going to push you forward into the U.S. I think something like, you know, a a BDR or something like that, um, you know, who can kind of generate those leads and then bring in the founder when it's time to push the sales forward and close. um, That's something that I would recommend all companies to consider. And it's something we talk with our companies a lot about. Um, Excuse me. And then, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's just um you know like with tech hires for example like we recommend keeping your tech teams um overseas it's going to be very expensive to hire those in the u.s um but i think like geography and and profile are two of the two of the most important things to keep in mind
0: yeah it's an interesting point you raise about maybe the the sector that they're servicing because you're right you know we we do a lot of work in new york and I think you're right. New York, San Francisco—they're the kind of—and and to a point, Austin now are kind of the, the three kind of, what we say, kind of tech hubs in in, in the states. But you kind of forget there's so many states that are known for, as you said, agriculture, um, manufacturing, yeah. um, and you know, it, you kind of touched on it there. You know, so so we're assuming there's an organisation or a company that are a certain size in Europe, and they are looking to. Land and expand in the in the u s and obviously based on where their kind of sector lies, it obviously would give them advice accordingly, but in terms of the structure from a, a personnel standpoint, it's interesting to touch on the kind of the bDr the sales the marketing pitch is your kind of advice to them is is get here, get a present build that arr build that customer base because that's ultimately why they're coming isn't it it's not to kind of build a big exactly. tech team i think that may come down the line so is that is that kind of how you'd ask them or advise them to structure it
1: exactly yeah i mean i think you hit the i think you hit the nail on the head um you're coming here to expand. You're coming here to sell. I mean, I think that mm. you know that very first hire is typically and should typically be somebody in the sales team. And again, not looking at you know a VP of sales who's going to cost three hundred thousand dollars a year plus commission. I yeah. mean, those could be really, really expensive hires. But and and I think another thing to keep in mind and something that I find myself talking to founders about a lot is, you know, American American salespeople are really good at selling themselves. Like really mm-hmm. good at selling themselves doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the right person or really good at selling your product or your service. Um so I think that, you know, starting with a bit of a lower stakes hire, somebody who can get your foothold um in in the market, somebody who can generate those leads and start those conversations to then bring the founder in, um tends to give a little bit more, you know, ROI and and gives founders also the chance to um explore the market a little bit further and um and figure out what works best for them rather than just like diving in headfirst. Um and yeah I mean hiring tech in the US tech teams in the US is is crazy expensive everything in the US is crazy expensive yeah. but tech teams in general are, you know, um if you have a tech team that's working overseas, there's no reason to bring them to bring them over here. Um the only other um you know in terms of um like profiles and seniority that I would consider especially once you have a few US customers under your under your belt um a customer success rep either a rep or a small team somebody yeah. who is on a closer time zone who can be available and it's you know it's just a way of demonstrating to your customers that you're there for them you're there to support them you care about them and you have somebody on the ground in their time zone who can you know support with any problems as they come up
0: yeah, I think it's uh, it's kind of an interesting point where they want to come over, they want to have that focus from a BDR standpoint. They want to, you know, show show there's an opportunity here worth kind of investing in more. But then equally, if they do win customers, they are going to need someone on the on the ground who can kind of service those questions and kind of almost act as you rightly said as actors that CSR. Is that, um, yeah, you know, making your first hire is really really challenging, whether that's if your founders in the US or your founders in Portugal, how how do you advise those companies to align from a cultural standpoint? You know, is that because obviously you rightly said, you know, the, the American way of selling may is going to be far different to maybe the way they've typically sold. But how do they get over that kind of cultural differences in the early stages?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that there is there's no like hard and fast formula for that. Unfortunately, I think, um, a lot of it comes from people being willing to, to work together. I mean, we had a company that came through one of our cohorts. It was a few years back. I think it was like right before COVID. Um, and the, you know, the main person we had coming through the cohort was, um, the they had hired already a, a BDR in the U.S. And so they were the person that was, you know, the main participant, the participant in the program. And one thing that we heard from them a lot is that they were having, you know, real challenges with HQ in France. They were giving them materials that don't work in the U.S. They were giving them pitches and, and verbiage that just is not in line with U.S. business culture. And, you know, when the founder first came over, they ended up joining the program a little bit later um, when the founder first came over, they were arguing. It was really like, we were really, really worried about the health of this company. Um, and, you know, I think being able to be Poor there, Chris. <laughs> in person, right? I'm like, oh my God. Um, but I think being able to be there in person, yeah. I think having the founder on the ground in the U.S. to better understand the business culture a little bit um, and to have that face-to-face time with their U.S. hire um, you know, really made, made a world of difference. I think it helped them get on the same level. Um, I think it helped, you know, the, the U S hired to understand a little bit more about French business culture. And in this situation, more importantly, the founder to understand what works in a sales capacity, um, in the U S and by the end of the 10 week program, they had closed their first U S sale wasn't necessarily a big a huge contract but it was just proof that like the culture was starting to jive a little bit more the the founder and the the sales rep were able to understand each other a little bit more so i think you know being able to get on each other's level is is really important if that makes sense
0: yeah i think it does make sense i think what it's it's the investment, isn't it? It's the investment from both the founder team to fully commit to a new market, and you know you say you know it wasn't a massive deal, but I think you always remember your first deal, and then you can obviously use that and build on that of your kind of future deals so I think it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting point in terms of weave and the the advice they offer companies from a hiring standpoint because obviously we're in a competitive market you know, despite the kind of the trials and tribulations of this year, kind of startups are still seen to be really exciting places to work and they are. But what what steps can companies take? They're coming to the US, they've got no brand, um, they've got no real understanding of the space apart from it's obviously a market they want to kind of capitalize on. But, you know, how do they stand out and, and what Steps do we've take to ensure they're in the best possible place to kind of attract people?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think it's a it's there's a few different layers to that. So, um, you know, one thing I always recommend to companies um, to stay competitive in their offerings is to do a little bit of research. You know, see. Mm-hmm. People are offering for similar positions, go on Glassdoor, go on LinkedIn, um, you know, New York, and now I think quite a few other states have laws about salary disclosure. So you can kind of get a sense of what is being offered in terms of salary, in terms of benefits. Um, so you want to make sure that you're competitive in that way. Um I think that, um, you know, getting a sense of like through the interviews too, you can kind of get a sense of, of what's important to people, whether it's, um, you know, a flexible work schedule, opportunities to travel, um, whether it's equity in the company. Um, so kind of being willing to work with people on that end as well, especially for the rate hire. Um, and you know, I think, um, I think that, that, really advertising, if you have something, you know, being able to really push your company culture as well, if that's something that has attracted people in your home market. Um, I think that especially these days, you know, culture, I think that COVID kind of changed the way that people look at work. Mm. Uh, and, and culture more important than ever. Like I know for me, I mean we're fully remote and that is something that's become super important to me. It's something you know, I don't think I could ever go back to five days in an office. so
0: <laughs> give me. <both. laughs>
1: yeah yeah, exactly. So it's those little things that make you stand out and and being able to be as competitive as you can be. Um, you know, U.S hiring is obviously when it comes to benefits very different than anywhere else in the world when you're looking at like healthcare and coverage and things like that. Um so I think being able to look at even like smaller things that feel small on your end in terms of benefits like um mental like mental health or mental wellness um mm. or um volunteer days like PTO, um, I think those little things can go a long way in in helping you stand out um in hiring.
0: Yeah. No, I like, I like that. And I, I think it's the smaller things that make up a far bigger picture. And I, you know, there's certain countries in Europe and we're, we're well versed in the kind of European and the US market. And there's certain countries that, you know, benefits are a big thing. Uh, yeah. And there's also countries that benefits, you know, there's certain benefits. They're just, they're not expected. And I think as uh, you come to the US and there is a certain expectation, especially with the amount of companies out there offering fantastic benefits to kind of offer a really, really good package. And right at the beginning, you mentioned about the states and cities that would be kind of best place for certain sectors. But I know post-COVID, there was a lot of um, incentives from states and cities to kind of attract companies. You know, we had obviously Florida, Miami, you know, these low taxes. And, you know, when you're talking to your startups who are looking at the US, what are, what considerations should they have? Is it find the cheapest state with the best talent or is it actually, is there other considerations here?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination. I think, you know, I and do, startups don't necessarily have a lot of cash to burn. So I think no. finding this state with the best talent is always going to be a high priority. Um, but I think, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, but I think being where your customers are is is crucial. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if a majority of your customers are in New York, you have to be in New York. It means you have to be somewhere that's, New York, that's very accessible to New York. Um, somewhere where you can send your sales rep or your customer success rep or whoever it is up there once a month or uh, you know once every other month. um, so something like you know, a place like North Carolina maybe or Virginia or Georgia, places where the talent is is exceptional, um but still much cheaper than one of those big northeastern cities. um yeah, you know, it's it's about finding that balance because if you're if your customers in New York, it doesn't help you to be in Denver. Um, you might as well. No. So, um, and <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that just being able to find that balance is going to be, is going to be really crucial. Um, and you know, I think again, it comes back to doing a little bit of research. Um, you know, our programs are mostly hybrid, but we will do um, a couple weeks in New York for all of our programs. A lot of the times after that, I'll see founders travel around the States trying to see what makes the most sense for them in order to set up.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think there's a lot of research that can be done there. Um, and also just, um, you know, we'll <laughs> get a lot of questions from founders, and this might be a little bit um, of a tangent, but who think that to set up somewhere means that you have to incorporate there, um, which just for anybody listening, that's not necessarily the case. I know a ton of, you know, every company I know basically is, is incorporated in Delaware, um, but they're set up and operating all around the country.
0: Okay. I wasn't aware of that. I think it's uh, it's interesting for people who are listening to kind of take take stock of that. And also I think companies evolve and ebb and flow over time and, you know, where your big customers may be now may not be where they, they are in a couple of years. And I'm kind of mindful not to uh, open up the classic kind of hybrid versus remote debate, which seems to be uh, kind of <laughs> on every single forum. But when you're looking to advise founders, um, and obviously giving them accessibility to candid pools and that kind of flexible staffing model. Do you think it's better for companies to go straight off the bat and try and build that in-office culture? Or do you think because maybe the first person, maybe BDR, maybe a marketing person that go remote and then work back from that point? Or how should they consider what to what to do and when, I guess?
1: Yeah, I mean... If from where I'm sitting, and I think I mentioned this earlier, I don't know if I did, but we're remote first. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, most of my team sits in New York, I sit in Denver. Um, and I think that from where I'm sitting, and I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of our founders as well, having kind of a remote culture, I think helps make the people that are sitting on the other side of the world or across the ocean feel a little bit less isolated. Um, it's not like, you know, your entire team is in an office, but I'm sitting alone at home. Um, Mm. and so I think that, you know, I think that that's something that could help make people feel more included, feel like I said, less isolated. Um, you know, I think that the way, and I think that culture can be, I mean, we've all seen that culture can be built and maintained through a remote workplace, um, I think that, you know, when, when the founder or when, you know, when the top guy is, is really able to set, um, set a tone for how the company works, I think it doesn't really make a difference if you're, if you're in the office or if you're, um, or if you're hybrid or, or remote or whatever it is. Um, and you know, Remote first also definitely has a lot of benefits in terms of like what we were saying. I mean, going somewhere that's that's less expensive than when you're where your customers are, but still gives you that accessibility. It lets you widen your candidate pool a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of benefits to uh, to remote first, especially when you're building international teams.
0: Yeah, I, I really consider the thought about people that weren't in that country, and I think if you're building an in-person culture then you run the risk of alienating those that aren't in person who are maybe in another territory so it's, it's something i've considered and i from the experience we've seen i think the if you go uh, you know remote off the bat yeah then that's far easier than trying to retrospectively change your culture to a remote first or in hi- in person hybrid so yeah i think it's uh is something which you're not necessarily people listening probably haven't considered. Actually, those seeing the new shiny office in on Fifth Avenue, and they're stuck at home in you know in Lisbon. And they're probably thinking, "Brilliant! They're having all the fun."
1: <laughs> no, I think I mean I think you're 100 percent right. And I mean I don't know. I don't know where you were when COVID hit. I was in a different organization with no remote policy at all, and I mean, we went—I went went from being five days a week in the office to um, to having to figure out how to work from home in my tiny little. Manhattan apartment. Um, So I think also it just, I think it makes people feel more comfortable being able to work from home if they're set up from the get go, if you have, and I mean, this goes back to a little bit what we were saying before, I mean, a, a work from home, a home office stipend, I think is a huge, um, a huge benefit that makes people feel like they are valued, like they'll have the tools and that they need to be able to work efficiently. Um, like people care or like a company cares about, you know, their mental well being or their space just as much as their productivity and and what they're, you know, the work they're producing. Um so yeah, I think that there's Absolutely. a lot of value starting from that, from that culture. And and then it also, you know, it's always a treat then to be able to get together in person with your team. Um I think that yeah. it, makes it more exciting to go into the office.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I see a lot on LinkedIn um, with the kind of reverse migration where you're seeing people who are in the US who go and meet their European counterparts. And actually that's uh, that just adds to the feeling that your company's moving forward, I guess. And I think that's a real, it's a real positive. I I know we we touched at the beginning of the, the episode that this year has kind of been anything but normal. Uh, companies have... You know, really, really struggle to to get on top of things this year from a hiring revenue standpoint. You know, what do you think we can expect to see? Probably a crystal ball time for you, but from 2024, how do you think companies are going to approach growth internationally in what we consider a bit of a down and a bit of a a, a tougher market?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I wish I had my crystal ball to answer it. <laughs> <You're
0: right>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but from where I'm sitting, I mean, I think that companies will probably be a bit more cautious. I mean, I think that we're going to see, and I think that we have already seen a bit of a slowdown in growth. Companies maybe being a little bit more careful than they would have been even you know two or three years ago. Um, maybe getting their ducks a little bit more in a row before they really start pushing for a new market. Um, that being said, I don't think we're gonna see it stop. I mean, I think that, you know, I think sure. that companies still need to expand in order to grow, especially um companies, you know, we'll work with with some with some markets that are smaller than just New York's market alone. Um, and so, you know, I think in order for companies to find success, they're going to need to continue expanding globally. Um, I think that they'll be, like I said, a little bit more cautious. I think that they'll be a little bit more particular about how they go about it, maybe, um, maybe a little bit more conservative in their hires. Um, uh, but I do think... I don't think we're going to see it stop. I mean, I don't think that it can stop.
0: No, no, let's hope not. I'm on the, uh, the recruitment side, so stopping's not good for us, but I <laughs> think it's uh You're not. yeah, I think I think there's that period of kind of reflection at the moment. Obviously, you've got this AI, you've got tech. This, yeah, I think we came out of COVID – and everyone just went crazy, and I think you're right if companies are genuinely serious about growth, and international and especially the u s has to be a market they look at and uh, there's no obviously no better place and obviously weave and, and and what you guys are doing, so I will make sure that we uh, we tag, we tag you into the socials and the posts. And for anyone listening, uh, we have founders in Europe who'd be very interested to hear about what you guys are doing. Um, and I guess the best way for them, reach out direct, um, through obviously the tag that we'll, we'll put on the, uh, the links and then you kick off a conversation, like a, I suppose a, a fact finding call and then go from there, I'm guessing
1: yeah yeah that's exactly how it works um we'll kick off a fact finding call um happy to chat with anybody who's anybody who's really interested in u.s expansion um always happy to uh to offer advice answer questions whatever I can do to help
0: Amazing. John, it's been my uh, absolute pleasure to have you on. And thanks so, so much for uh, taking the time this morning. It's uh, yeah, been a lot of fun and you, you've offered some really valuable insight and actually stuff that I've not necessarily considered either. So I'm sure people listening will be re- really interested to check you guys out.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. This was, thanks, this was-
0: Johnny, my pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Thanks. You
1: Bye. too. Bye.